0: This is Jim Minns, Communications Officer with the PSA. On the podcast this week...
1: You know, we had people who had retired and been made redundant picking up the gear and, and getting out in the front line and fighting fires. You know, we saw that. And absolutely it shows the commitment and dedication. But for so many of our members, it's not a job, um, it's a vacation, and it's their life, and they dedicate their life to serving the community. We recap the year that
0: was with PSA General Secretary Stuart Little. PSA CPSU New South Wales General Secretary Stuart Little sat down with PSA Campaigns and Communications Manager Marianne Leditch for the final podcast for 2020. On the agenda was a recap of all the challenges our members faced in the year that was or as some would put it, the year they'd rather forget. Horrific bushfires, the worst the state had ever seen. A wage freeze backed by a shocking ruling in the Industrial Relations Commission, all on the back of a global pandemic that has asked more of public servants than ever before. It's been a wild, wild year. So let's recap the memorable moments one final time. Here's Marianne.
2: Stuart Little, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good morning. We're coming towards the end of the year. We've only got a few weeks left and what a year it's been.
1: Thank goodness is coming to an end.
2: We never thought 2020 was going to be like this, did we? I
1: don't think anyone could have prepared us for 2020. Um, the bushfires had such a huge effect um, upon New South Wales, upon regional New South Wales, upon our membership directly. Um, to then go from the bushfires straight into COVID was really, really challenging um, on so many ways because obviously it then... Basically, the next challenge became salaries conditions for our members. Um, You know, I I was concerned early on that the government would try to use the bushfires as a means to attack our salaries. We've never accepted that 2.5% is a good outcome. We've just said it's um, a fair outcome in terms of inflation. But what it doesn't account for is efficiency and... you know, the value of work. And, and, and the biggest issue we've got going forward is to try to fight to get that back into the Industrial Relations Commission. But unfortunately, when you look at, you know, wh- where where that's going, where the commission's going, it just seems that's been captured by the government. Um, there's no doubt that that 0.3% decision was diabolical in, in every respect of the word. To, to pluck out one figure quoted by Dr Charlton, to say, oh, well, that's what you, you asked for 0.3, it's rubbish. We asked for 2.5 uh, to be handed down, which was the policy and had been the policy for um, the past decade. Um, it was told that it was guaranteed when it was brought in. They said it was guaranteed, and it's a huge, huge concern um, because, you know, obviously we, we need to have a fair, impartial... Um, independent umpire.
2: We have done all the jobs that the nurses do within our four wars, the police, the fire brigade and everything else. When we put our uniform on, we demand respect when we go into those jails. What we also expect is that our government will respect us and this government has it. The 0.3% is an insult. It is nothing to us for what we've been through. It's not just- it will go down history as such an incredible time for our membership. The one thing that our membership has done, it's literally kept the state running.
1: There's no question about that. And again, you've got to go back to the fires. Um, I I was fortunate enough to get out um, in February into a lot of areas, um, you know, right along the snowy highway area from Cheermont right out to the coast and up the south coast, and to see the, not just the devastation, but to see um, exhausted members in all of those locations, our members in the Rural Fire Service, um, you know, spectacular job that they dealt with conditions that, you know, for some of them they'd never seen them. Um, and our members, obviously, in national parks, um, you know, who, who like, like the RFS, I mean, those guys saved so much property, they saved lives. Uh, if you look at the scale of those fires, I mean, it's just a testament to, you know, their professionalism and, and obviously our members in forestry corporation. And you can't ignore the role that fire uh, and rescue New South Wales, our, our cousins, play. Obviously, you know they they get stuck in, and, and all emergency services police, paramedics. But huge, vast amounts of the state ten percent of the national parks estate, I think, or ten percent of the you know the vegetation vegetative part of the state. Gone, you know, ninety percent of the Blue Mountains are gone. You can't overstate the devastation um, that, that took place. But you know, our members responded to it, and, and what it highlighted obviously was the deficiency of the government. Because you know, going into the fire season, one job in five in the Rural Fire Service was vacant. One job in five, disgraceful. Um, we had extremely experienced officers. Um, one in particular, who I won't name, but was made redundant. Then asked to come back in and work as um, the incident controller. Um, Just disgraceful. You know, if that was a police officer, um, that would never happen. You know, if they said to a police officer, well, you're redundant, you lost your job. Oh, but look, we've got a crime wave coming. Would you mind coming in? And by the way, we're not going to pay you. Um, That was what happened to this officer. And obviously came back in because he cared for his community and did an outstanding job. So, you know, you had this ridiculous situation of one job in five left vacant. National parks—they—they they cut a third, one third of their firefighting capacity. These are some of the best um, remote area firefighters in the world. You know, people who get winched in on choppers in in isolated areas with a drip torch, and they put in strategic backburns, um, putting themselves at the harm's way. But they do an astonishing job, and we lost one third of that capacity by this government.
0: As we go to air this morning, total fire bans are in place.
1: We've got to keep
2: reminding ourselves that catastrophic is off the conventional scale. This fire has
0: been so intense. Never seen anything
1: like it. Communities are at risk tonight from a bushfire burning out of control. The fire became all but impossible to fight. And, you know, obviously since that time, the government's obviously rectified that because guess what? Now they're putting those jobs back in. Um, But it took a major catastrophe for them to do that, and that's not good enough. It's not good enough. That fire season was much, much worse than it needed to be. It should never have gone for that long. There should have been crews in there chasing the, um, the lightning strikes up and down the dividing range. That's where most fires start. Most wildfires or bushfires start through lightning strikes up and down the Great Dividing Range. We should have had crews in there chasing those lightning strikes, which they can monitor. And we didn't have that because we'd lost that capacity. To then go into COVID and obviously our members at the Ministry of Health, to start with with the Ruby Princess fiasco, uh, obviously issues arose there. Um, but I think you'd be a very harsh critic not to highlight the magnificent work that our members of the ministry have have done. But obviously led by Dr. Kerry Chant, who should go down as the Australian of the year, Australian of the century, really. They've done a magnificent job, and you know our health system has not been overrun by COVID. Our schools have not been overrun. Um, you know our our health system, our our community, because really they had the gold standard when it comes to. Um, you know, how they um, manage that. And they train for that. They train. The epidemiologists there train to deal with a pandemic situation. And, you know, I'm sure other states um, could learn a lot from from the uh, preparation and training that they've put in.
2: And on a day when the shutters well and truly came down, the government also banned non-essential travel, shops and work about
1: the only destinations left. Our members in the prisons, um, likewise, you know, we were faced with a very dire situation. I remember speaking to the Commissioner on a Sunday night and basically saying, look, you know, we have to stop visits and, you know, um, our members are probably going to take matters into their own hand If and really we need to work in a collaborative way because if COVID gets into the jails, as we've seen overseas, particularly, um, you know, some of the American situations were just um, devastating. You had 100% infection rates in, in certain US jails, and that would have a massive impact on the prisoner population, but obviously from our point of view, the, the our members, the officers, are the people that we're concerned about. The work that they did in a collaborative way, they set up a command post we had, really, I mean, unprecedented cooperation. Um, there was, I mean, you know, we'd often speak to the commissioner and the minister's office, um, you have to say they worked really, really well, with a great outcome. You know, 40% of our members live and work in regional New South Wales, but many many members have to um, commute vast distances to get to work. And, you know, if there's one thing this pandemic has taught us is how to work a bit smarter and to use technology. So, you know, if we don't learn that lesson going forward, I think that'll be a tragedy. But I, I like many people, uh, am optimistic that, you know, really, uh, you know, the world will never go back to how it was and that the you know, the good bosses will learn from, you know, the experience and they will embrace the technology and try to, um, you know, afford a greater degree of flexibility to our members. But in particular, you know, working women, I think, could gain a great deal, um, particularly with the work-life balance. But, you know, just looking at the amount of time that some people have to commute... Um, and then you look at the the functions that they do in the workplace. So many of those functions can be performed remotely. I mean, we've seen it. Child protection, I think, is another area where um, you know all of our members work remotely. You know, child protection, frontline, line. Um, you know, very, very, um, very difficult job. The biggest issue, I suppose, that we faced there was was trying to get some measure of care and resilience um, in, in respect to mental health, like we've done elsewhere across that portfolio. I mean, we've, we've implemented some pretty good mental health strategies into um, correction, corrective services into youth justice. So, you know, it's a big issue for us going forward. Our members in schools never really, for so many of them, they never stopped. They had to, and they still have to have um, changed the way that they operate and they function. And, you know, if anyone that drives past a school um, at pick-up time will see rows and rows of parents out the front gate because they can't just sort of go in Uh, to the school and and wander around. And obviously, you know, that's thrown up big challenges um, for our members um, in in schools. It's an area that obviously we need to really um, strive to have better protection for our members in schools. Um, It's quite remarkable when you look at, obviously, dealing with kids with behavioural issues, the challenges that many of our members um, face, um, you know, I've spoken to, to members who've been assaulted virtually on a daily basis. But if they don't do the job that they do, then those kids don't get to go to school. They don't go to school at all. They'll end up in an institution. So, you know, they perform uh, an absolutely magnificent service for the community. Um, and I know the community um, obviously um, recognises that because, you know, for a lot of those working mums and dads out there, they wouldn't be able to work. Um, if their, their child wasn't able to go to school for a lot of them. Or you know, worse still, they would have to look to some type of home care arrangement or group home arrangement. One of the big issues we're facing now post-pay equity is trying to deal with this insecure work issue. And I know that our Women's Council uh, are discussing that today, but um, it's a ridiculous situation when you've got people who, despite... The legislation saying you cannot employ people for more than three years on a temporary basis, constantly finding people with ten years in the same job, twelve, I think seventeen years um, for some of them, and then being told oh, no, no, that's temporary. You know, it's just rubbish. It's 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 you know it's it's not right. It just means that you, the department haven't bothered to put procedures in place um, to manage their workforce. It's a ridiculous proposition, and those jobs should be permanent and ongoing.
2: The one thing this is shown is that the public service is effective. You talk to members every week. You yep. go see members. What are they saying to you?
1: Oh, every day we had, um, you know, so many members. Um, and I'm minded of a discussion I had with one member from the Ministry of Health who could have worked from home but chose not to work from home, chose, no, I'm going to be in there at St Leonard's. I want to support the team who are in there, senior management, Um, You know, this is back in March, April, when, when, you know, right, I suppose in New South Wales, particularly Sydney, when we are right at the height of the pandemic emergency, and yeah, you looked at that dedication, and it's inspiring to see that, because they don't want to let their mates down. You've seen the same thing in schools, you've seen it in prisons, you've seen it in child protection. Um, you know, you've seen it in service in New South Wales. That they're not going to, you know, shirk it and leave it to their mates to pick up the work. They'll pick up and run with the ball. We've seen that right across, you know, the areas that our members work in. You know, likewise in the fires, um, you know, we had people who had retired and been made redundant picking up the gear and, and getting out in the front line and fighting fires. You know, we saw that. And absolutely it shows the commitment and dedication. But for so many of our members, it's not a job Um, it's a vacation and it's their life and they dedicate their life to serving the community.
2: Our members are the champions of the state.
1: Without doubt, they are the champions of the state. Absolutely.
2: And we want to wish everyone a really happy and safe Christmas and New Year. And is there something that you would like to say to them?
1: Uh, I'd just like to say Merry Christmas. Thank you for your dedication and hard work. Thank you for being members of the PSA and supporting, helping us support your workmates. And... Have a great Christmas, stay safe and fingers crossed for a fantastic 2021.
0: This was the final podcast for 2020, but don't worry, we'll be back in 2021. You can subscribe to the PSA CPSU New South Wales podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next year. Stay safe.